Oh, oh, oh. 
minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday Erev Shabbos, Erev Yom Kippur. A Gemar Chesimatova, happy, healthy, and sweet New Year to all of our wonderful listeners. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
in the AM. Good morning and welcome to 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial and around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. That is a medley of Yomim Narayim selections from our friends at Yeshivat Karim Biavne. Uh, they have an incredible tradition there, as so many Yeshivot do, uh, when it comes to the high holidays, and that is a recording of some of their great material. Uh, Cantor Benjamin Unger from the collection of Kol Nidres, Mordechai Ben David, that great medley from the Vacholma Aminim, Suki and Ding, Yamim Noroyim High Holiday CD, and Regesh with Modaani opening things up, and we say good morning. It's a JM in the AM Friday. It is Erev Yom Kippur 5775. Candlelighting at 614 on this Erev Yom Kippur. 614 is candlelighting time. Don't forget we have a minig, a custom to do Kaparus today. If you're not familiar with that, consult with your local rabbi. And uh, we will be spending some time with the mayor of Jersey City, who's going to visit us this morning here at JM in the AM. Then, of course, with Malcolm Honline, we will review the events of the week and the news of the week during our weekly update at about 7.40 this morning. Rabbi Yudin will address us concerning the holiday of Yom Kippur at about 8.15. And uh, we will close things out for JM in the AM at 9 a.m., to return Bezrat Hashem this coming Monday. We do have amazing programming on our stream. Naomi Nachman is coming up at 9 o'clock, the Aussie Garmet. At 10 o'clock, an encore of Charlie Harari's brilliant Erev Yom Kippur show from last night, uh, presented by our friends at Ohel. It was an amazing, amazing show. Included some great guests. That's on between 10 and noon today, Eastern Time. And, um, uh, of course, uh, Matis is going to be doing JM Sunday. Sunday morning, and among his guests will be the Chief Rabbi of South Africa, Rabbi Goldstein, at 8.15 Sunday morning live. Make sure to be tuned in right here at jmandtheam.org. Friday morning, Erev Yom Kippur, again candlelighting at 6.14. We continue at JM and the AM. This is brand new from Hillel Kapnik.
Say you call the great Rabbi Shlomo Kalbach. Words from the high holiday service, getting ready for a uh, 
Yum Kipper 5775 here at JM in the AM. I thank you for joining us. I thank you for tuning in all year round and being part of this amazing radio experience and network experience on a daily basis. And I thank all of you who tune in from around the world at jmintheam.org and all the other methods that you could use to listen into what we do on a daily basis. It's much appreciated. Happy, healthy, sweet New Year to everybody. May uh, the one above give us a year of uh, blessings and peace and prosperity. And as a community, a worldwide community, have an incredible 5775. It's JM in the AM. I remind you, coming up at 9 o'clock this morning, right after we uh, wish everyone a, a happy, healthy, and sweet New Year, Naomi Nachman is going to be on. She has a Table for Two program with guests Melinda, Melinda Strauss from KitchenTested.com and Elon Kornblum from Great Kosher Restaurants Magazine. They're going to talk about the 10th year anniversary of the magazine and his scavenger hunt challenge that he has for Naomi and the audience. Melinda will share with the uh, audience information about the upcoming Kosher Food Blogger Conference. There'll be a giveaway of a brand new Australian cookbook. Tune in, hear an interview with the authors that uh, Naomi did on her recent trip to Australia. It's all happening today between 9 and 10 right after JM and the AM. At 10 o'clock, Ohel's presentation of Charlie Harari in our Erev Yom Kippur uh, special Book of Life program happens today between 10 and noon. You can hear Charlie Harari in what has been called a brilliant presentation that he did last night. Uh, Charlie Harari with um, uh, the Book of Life special presentation by our friends at Ohel, and that's happening uh, today between 10 and noon. I remind you that on Sunday, Matis will be interviewing the chief rabbi of South Africa. That happens at 8.15 Eastern Time, Sunday morning, live on JM Sunday. Make sure to be tuned in at uh, jmandtheam.org. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world in the web, jmtheam.org. Uh, Mayor of Jersey City is scheduled to join us. We'll uh, speak with Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents. A lot to talk about in the news this week, that's for sure. That'll be coming up. And uh, we'll wrap things up at 9 o'clock this morning right here at JM in the AM. Galitzal in the background, do our news from Israel in just a moment. Rabbi Yudin coming up at 8.15 with the Torah portion discussion, which of course today will concentrate on the holiday of Yom Kippur. Rabbi Yudin at 8.15 this morning. Rabbi Yudin will join us Wednesday on Erev Sukkot and the following Wednesday on Hoshana Rabbah as well. We'll be off the air Thursday and Friday next week and Thursday and Friday the week after for the holiday. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday. Erev Yom Kippur is next. We say Boker Tov and Gemar Tov from JM and the AM. Galitzal, Shah Stein, Kan Shibel Karmi Mansur, Imasha Koreachav. שוב ידועי אבנים על הרכבת הקלה בירושלים, כתבנו יותם ברגר. בפעם השנייה היום ידוע על מונים אבנים על הרכבת בשכונת שועפאט, נזק נגרם לקרונות, אך איש לא נפגע. תקריות דומות נרשמו באזור גם אתמול בערב ולמעשה כמעט מדי יום מזה חודשים. בתוך כך המשטרה ערוכה בכוחות מתוגברים לקראת סוף שבוע מתוח במיוחד בבירה בגלל הצטלבות חג הקורבן ויום הכיפורים. מספר השוטרים שיאבטחו את ירושלים גדול פי ארבעה בהשוואה לימי כיפור בעבר. 
האיחוד האירופי מגנה את אישורי הבנייה בשכונת גבעת המטוס בירושלים ואת ההתיישבות היהודית בסילואן. כתבנו ענבל תמיר. בהודעה שפורסמה מטעם האיחוד האירופי נכתב, מדובר בצעד מזיק שמערער את האפשרות לפתרון של שתי מדינות ומעמיד בסימן שאלה את מחויבות ישראל להסכם שלום עם הפלסטינים. עוד נכתב בהודעה כי עתיד היחסים בין האיחוד לבין ישראל תלוי במחויבותה של ישראל לפתרון שתי המדינות. אם אבו מאזן יפנה לבית הדין בהאג, הוא יחסל את הסיכוי למשא ומתן מדיני. כך אומר לגלי צה"ל ראש הממשלה נתניהו. הנה קטע מדבריו בריאיון מיוחד לכתבנו ג'קי חוגי. אם הוא ינסה, אז יהיו לזה תוצאות קשות ביותר מבחינתו. הוא יכול לדרדר את העגלה, הוא יכול להביא אותנו לקריסה של כל סיכוי של תהליך מדיני שפוי. בתוך כך, סוכנות הידיעות AP מדווחת שאבו מאזן יבקש ממדינות ערב סיוע של 4 מיליארד דולרים לשיקום רצועת עזה. הרב הראשי הצבאי, תת-אלוף רפי פרץ, מספר לגלי צה"ל על קביעת מותם של החיילים הדר גולדין ואורון שאול במהלך מבצע צוק איתן. המטרה שלי הייתה להגיע אל האמת מהר, לפי הנתונים שיש לנו. והבית דין שהקמתי, אמרתי לו את זה, אמרתי לו, תראו, אנחנו מעכשיו, אנחנו סביב השעון עובדים עד שנגיע למסקנה שמבחינתנו היא מסקנת בית הדין. הריאיון המלא עם הרב פרץ, שערכה טלי ליפקין שחק, ישודר בגלי צה"ל מיד אחרי החדשות. לקראת כניסת יום הכיפורים, תנועת התחבורה הציבורית ברחבי הארץ תופסק בשעה הקרובה לחלוטין. כתבנו אלדר גילרן. בדקות הקרובות יסתיים שירות הרכבות ברחבי הארץ וגם בנתב"ג תופסק תנועת המטוסים. בעוד כשעה תסתיים גם פעילות האוטובוסים ותחודש בצאת יום הכיפורים מהשעה שמונה וחצי בערב. תנועת הרכבות תחודש במוצאי שבת בחצות. בשל העומס הרב, מעבר טאבה יישאר פתוח בתיאום עם השלטונות במצרים עד לשתיים ושלושים, ברשות שדות התעופה קוראים לציבור שלא להגיע למקום. כתבנו עומר קדרון נוסר שבמקביל בג"ץ קבע שתחנת רדיו השמס תוכל לשדר במהלך יום כיפור. אלו זמני כניסת הצום. בירושלים ב-5.46, בחיפה ב-5.52, בתל אביב ב-6 ודקה ובבאר שבע ב-6 וארבע דקות. חתימה טובה. התחזית מחר נאה בלי שינוי ניכר בטמפרטורות. אלה החדשות שעורך הדר שיפר בצוות שירה הראל וראם מישאל. Yeah, but we should be near the door 
One of the um, most stirring parts of the High Holiday Liturgy, Tihir Rabbi Yishmol from tomorrow's service. It's Friday, it's Erev Yom Kippur on this 3rd of October, the 9th of Tishrei, and the candle lighting time is at 614 in this area. It looks like pretty good fasting weather. Uh, there'll be rain tomorrow with a high of 69, so doesn't look like it's going to be too hot, anything like that. Uh, looks like good fasting weather in this area, and... Um, Looks like the rain will start sometime really, really, really late tonight. And uh, quite possibly will be coming down when uh, when you walk to shul tomorrow. 
Candlelighting 614, it's Arab Yom Kippur 5775. We've got uh, programming on our stream all day long, of course. Naomi Nachman with a brand new edition of the uh, Table for Two program coming up right after JM in the AM. And then a an encore presentation and the reaction we're getting to last night's show with Charlie Harari is pretty amazing. Encore presentation of last night's special Book of Life program for Erev Yom Kippur presented by Ohel. Uh, it'll be on between 10 and noon this morning at jmnam.org. So you can catch the encore at that time. And between our app comments and uh, the phone calls and emails, it's obvious that uh, everyone agrees with us that it was a great presentation last evening. So check that out. Mordechai ben David next, Erev Yom Kippur at JM in the AM. Oh, yeah. 
p.m. in the a.m. Uh, Mordechai ben David, Barosh Hashanah, from uh, the uh, High Holiday Liturgy that we'll be saying, of course, uh, tonight and tomorrow. Well, that pa- passage tomorrow. Friday morning, J.M. in the a.m. on this Erev Yom Kippur. We are, uh, we are we, we're so delighted and glad to be able to wish a happy, healthy, and sweet new year in person to the mayor of Jersey City, a man who's become a great friend of this radio station. And that's Mayor Stephen Fulop, who is here in our studio. Welcome back to JM in the AM. Nachum, thank you. It's great to be here. I appreciate that. I was um, I was thinking about all the different things you've had to encounter over the last year, and there've been a lot of things, haven't there been? <laughs> yeah, we've had a uh, we've had some good stories on the growth of uh, Jersey City. We had some tough situations with uh, a police officer being assassinated. So well, I figured that was your toughest day as mayor. Am I right? No, no question. I, I was. Uh, I got the phone call that a police officer was shot at three uh, o'clock in the morning. I went to the medical center and I was there when his uh, mother and his father um, first saw the body and uh it was a, a surreal moment and uh I, I mean i was in iraq with the marine corps right that was seeing the mother having to look at officer santiago's uh body and just repeating the um badge number and that it wasn't possible was probably one of the most difficult things that i've ever endured in my entire life because obviously any episode that happened uh, uh you know halfway around the world the parents were yep. halfway around the world in this case right there on the spot and i remember seeing the parents on television and the whole episode was was somewhat bizarre because there was a group of people that actually wanted to memorialize the assassin, right? Remember that? Yeah. So, you know, there there's a segment of the community that's really hard to penetrate because of uh, distrust, a lack of education, background. And uh, in this case, the uh, killer's mother made a comment to the newspaper saying that had she known that uh, the police would have shot her son after he shot a police officer... Um, she felt that the police officer, that the assassin should have killed more police officers. Mm-hmm. Totally disconnected. And then some people in the community set up a memorial, which I had taken down. And some of the, um, some people said that I shouldn't have because of freedom of speech. My belief was that, I mean, we did the right thing. We're not going to let, um, a, uh, a killer, um, be memorialized in that way and uh, put a stain on the entire city as if it's something we condone. Yeah. I think what people appreciated about your, reaction to that memorial was that you took a stand it is rare these days yeah <laughs> that leaders just you know open up and say this is how it's going to work whether you agree or not and i think that gained a lot of respect from both sides on I, that. look I'm, I'm i'll be the first to say that i'm still learning and uh that was a good learning moment for me um on so many fronts i learned more about the community i learned more about what i need to do better i learned more about leadership so um, f- despite being a difficult uh, couple weeks, it uh, was a very good learning experience. And, you know, those who are protesting, quote-unquote, police brutality in Jersey City actually cite that episode yeah. as one of the episodes. That, that is absurd. It's, uh, yes, it's ridiculous. So, But, you know, the, the thing about it is that the media today gravitates towards um, that sort of sensationalism. The majority of people here don't feel that way. The majority of people feel that uh, the city's moving in the right direction, that we're growing. And you'd say that across the board, every ethnic group? I mean, every, every. It doesn't make a difference if you're... Because you know what kind of diverse ethnic makeup you have here in Jersey City. 75 languages spoken in our school. I can tell you that people in the African-American community, the Hispanic community, the Muslim community, the Jewish community, the uh, Caucasian community, across the board, people feel it's moving in the right direction. It's not to say that it's perfect, right. but... 
it's progressing. Oh, there's no question you've had a good year. I mean, yeah, it's been it's with been, all the tough days, it's been a really good yeah, year. Yeah. Uh, mayor Stephen Fulop is here, Jersey City Mayor, of course. You did learn a lesson that we learned somewhat a couple of years back when we rented out this building for a day or two to a Disney to film a movie here. We learned that Disney basically controls America. Uh, you learned the lesson that the NFL basically controls America, right? When, yeah. when you saw the Super Bowl come we, to this town. Yeah. I was actually, I, I was actually uh, at Disney's complex for my first time in Los Angeles two days ago um, with uh, Michael Bloomberg invited me to a, uh, a mayor's forum of 40 mayors around the world. And uh, so I had an opportunity to see what that complex looks like, which is absolutely amazing. So I would say Disney runs the world. Yeah, I the, joke about that because I saw the way, and again, they weren't controlling them. But you know, if they need police or fire personnel or anybody else, you know, at a moment's notice, they've got what they need because of their, the power behind them. And I think you saw the same thing with the NFL. Yeah, right? we, we had both um, the Broncos and the Seahawks here right. staying about a mile apart. Um, I had the privilege of welcoming both teams here. Um, Pete Carroll, the coach of the Seahawks, was supposed to kind of accept a uh, city proclamation when the Seahawks uh, arrive as they're getting off the bus and go through a whole ceremony. And then John Elway was supposed to do it for the Broncos. Right. Um, so John Elway came came out, and I look like uh, I'm 22 years old. <laughs> and uh, he knew he was supposed to meet the mayor, but he's like he kept saying to me, where's the mayor? And I'm like, I am the mayor. <laughs> <laughs> I want to tell you something. That story, which went viral, as you know. Yeah. And a lot of mayors would not have taken it in the good humor you've uh, taken what, what it. You've say? got such I mean, a great attitude. It's, what, what am I going to say? You know, I, I'm I'm thankful to have the job, and I enjoy it every day. And and you take the good with the bad. And uh, that was that was that was a funny moment. I mean, I handed him the proclamation. And uh, he was confused still because he was he didn't know I was the mayor, and I think he thought that I wanted him to sign it. So he was looking for like a pen to like hand back to me, uh, a signed thing that I gave to him, and I say no, it's for you. Unbelievable. Tell me about this immediate area. Those of us who are in the Montgomery Street, you yeah. know, Little Manhattan area, whatever you want to call it, there've been so many names since we moved in in 1998, and it seems to me that there's not as much. Hustle and bustle here on a regular day, like it was years ago. Would you say that's accurate or not? Um, no, I mean, so Jersey City is growing. We uh, will overtake Newark as the largest city in the state of New Jersey um, next year. Wow! Um, the twenty largest buildings in the state all will be in uh, Jersey City. We're, twenty largest buildings. Yeah, we're building fifty, sixty, seventy-story buildings. Uh, right now, we have about six thousand units under construction. Another twelve thousand in the next. Uh, two to three years, and uh, the great thing about it is that we're filling them up as quickly as we're building them. So it's really a great story. Um, our unemployment rate has dropped faster than anybody in the entire region, which is an, another great component of it. And a lot of families, when you get priced out of Manhattan, right. you start looking for Queens, Brooklyn. Well, that's and, obvious. Yeah, and, and, and we benefit. So on the employment front, um, J.P. Morgan announced they moved 5,000 jobs over here, RBCs, at the end of the year, a block away from where the station is, another 1,000 jobs. So they're coming here. Um, I think in the last two, three years, a lot of the space has been gray space, meaning that it's been rented but not occupied. Right. And uh, that's starting to change. Right. Is, it seems transitional a bit yeah. to those of us who are here every day. Yeah. And from what I hear, just like what's happening with the Freedom Tower, where in 2017, obviously, there are going to be you know tens of thousands of more people in that area every single day. It seems like this is heading in the same direction. Yeah. You know, you know what's a good indicator is I get to see the number of restaurants that are opening. Right. And uh, that's a good leading indicator because w when they're printing menus and they're, they're opening uh, restaurants, it means that they recognize there's dinner and lunch traffic. So. Right. Um, we, we, we have a very, very 
strong and growing uh, uh, restaurant community, which is terrific. Maybe you can get uh, you know, that that 24-hour deli across the street was <laughs> was very good, even for the kosher consumers because they sold a lot of good packaged products, and it was it was wonderful. And that brought in a lot. I mean, tons of people walk into a large place like that, and I think that may, by the way, be part of the whole psychological effect for us that that block is so much emptier than it was. You know? I, I think that's true. I think that's true. So well, we 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 do We're need to find a tenant. We need we need a kosher deli. We yeah. don't have a kosher deli. Yeah, a kosher like restaurant would be fantastic. But I'm just talking about you know the regular uh, you know 24 hour place that services everybody that has you know yeah. all yeah. the fruits, vegetables, and packaged deals, uh, packaged items you need. Friday morning, JM and the AM on this Erev Yom Kippur. Happy, healthy, and sweet New Year to all. Mayor Stephen Fulop of Jersey City is here. So what can we expect in the next year? I guess a lot of growth, a lot of. Uh, a continuation yeah, of what's been happening over the last few months. Doing, yeah, I mean, we're going to continue to grow. We're doing some innovative things that I'm excited about on the school's front. We're uh, continuing to do some things on infrastructure and, and public and private partnerships. Uh, right. where you we're know what your reputation is, by the way? And someone said it to me in this building. They said, you know, if Mayor Fulop is coming, you have to be aware of something. I said, what? He's really into education. I said, you, you say that like it's a disease, you know. He's, isn't that a great reputation to have? He's really into education? Yeah, but that's, I, I was scared of what yeah, you were about to say. I, I was also wondering what he was about to tell me, you know, so. This, this uh, you know, the, the great thing about uh, the job that I'm blessed and lucky to, to be in is that you really have the opportunity to do things and make a difference at the local level. So when you look at... Unfortunately, what's happening in Congress and uh, in the, both the House and the Senate and, and Washington and even at the state level, there's stagnation. There's all this partisanship, you know, and uh, at the local level, you don't have the uh, luxury not to get things done. You know, potholes got to be plugged mm-hmm. and police have to be there and um, growth has to happen. So you figure out ways to, to solve things. And so the, the whole conference where I was in the last week with those other mayors that Bloomberg is really an advocate for is is really about mayors finding solutions. And they need federal government help and state government help in order to do that. You, you, you need help, but you could find ways to leverage the private sector. I mean, you, you know who's doing something really innovative that, that was really exciting is uh, Barcelona, the mayor of Barcelona. And what he's doing is recognizing that a lot of senior citizens um, end up in their later years of their life are lonely and disconnected. And uh, it's very sad. Sure. And uh, what they started on an experiment of uh, using technology, because there's usually that technology disconnect in senior citizens, providing them tablets. They got sponsorship for this. So I think they're going to end up doing 200,000 of these tablets. They integrate all the social service programs, but also integrate uh, connectivity to family and friends mm. via kind of Facebook and social media and all that stuff, and they train them. And so you're kind of opening these people up to kind of a new world so they feel a little bit more connected and less lonely. And even if somebody's grandchildren don't call them all the time, they right. still have an opportunity to see what's going on in their and lives. And private sector companies sponsor that? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, Bloomberg Philanthropies is the one who's doing that wow. because it's something that they think um, you could scale into other cities because of the fact that, um, connectivity to seniors is important, and the aging community is important, and um, it's uh, it's a great thing. So we we got to hear a lot about what these different cities are doing, and uh, you kind of say, oh, I, I could do that in Jersey. Who's City. your best private sector partner? If you if you're in Jersey City and you need a big grant to get something done, is there a company that you, you know, that's your go-to company at this point? I mean, you know, you, you, there's a bunch down here. Over the summer, we had a lot of summer. Uh, we partnered with the private sector for. Uh, um, hiring a lot of our high schoolers mm. and, and, and donating money um, on that front. I mean, J.P. Morgan's been phenomenal to us. Brown Brothers has been phenomenal to us. 
um, Bank of America. Mm. I mean, most of the financial services that have a presence here have been really, really great. All right, there you go. So people are pitching in and uh, trying to help continue to to build the city. Thank God. I. Um I take this opportunity to wish you a happy, healthy, and sweet New Year. You too. And to all the listeners out here, uh, as somebody who went to yeshiva my whole life, That's right. I could say, uh, Shana Tova, I wish everybody a happy New Year. You remember some of those great Yom Kippers with your grandfather? You talk about how your grandfather drove you to school every day, right? Yeah. And then I used to I used to go to Borough Park, actually, is because uh, they lived in Borough Park. Your grandparents and, lived in Borough Park? Yeah, my grandparents lived in Borough Park. They didn't come to Jersey to drive you every day. So, so my grandparents lived in Borough Park. As they got older, they... Came to they came to us, but for uh, Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah, we used to go to Borough Park and stay with them, and then uh, we would walk to shul there, and that 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 was what I did. Boy, you're right in the center of everything, the center of everything. I'll tell you, if you saw what was going on there tomorrow, there's a big Jewish community out there now. That's true. for sure. It's true. Mayor Fulop, I thank you. You've been a great. Oh, by the way, you know about the opening of Monty Hall? I don't know if you know about this. The real estate firm that was our tenant downstairs on the first floor has moved out. And WFMU Radio has founded, I, I believe, with your office's help, by the way. I'm, I'm aware of it. Yeah, as a, Monty a Hall. Yeah. Good name, yeah. though, because yeah. Montgomery Street, you know, and the famous Monty Hall, for those of us who are old enough to remember. Um, and there are actually performances and gigs going on down there, and it should be another great space for people to come and have some entertainment and enjoy a good time. So. Some, somebody told me that uh, that they're looking actually to expand it, maybe that to have food and yeah, uh, alcohol correct. beverage and, and, and have a real venue. I don't know a lot about this, but uh, but yeah. yes, they're trying to attract people from everywhere. Jersey City, Manhattan, you know, it's to great. come and see some great performances. Great, so. great. We're doing our part to yeah, help downtown are. Jersey you City. definitely are. Thank you so much Nothing, for joining thank us. Thank you. Happy, healthy, sweet New Year. The mayor of Jersey City, everybody, Mayor Stephen Fulop, who is uh, an amazing friend, a wonderful mayor, and even though I wouldn't ask him about this today... Uh, the rumor is he has the great potential to one day lead this garden state of New Jersey. I wasn't going to put him under pressure, Erev Yom Kippur. We all have so much to pray for and hope for. Uh, we'll, we'll explore the uh, issue of the gubernatorial office uh, at another time. Malcolm Holine, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, comes up next for an Erev Yom Kippur weekly update at JM in the AM.
Tell you something. 
J.M. in the A.M. That's a nostalgic one for us. First song I ever played on this radio station. Era of Rosh Hashanah 31 years ago. Unbelievable. Maloich, as uh, done by Mayor Sherman. Before, that's words from the uh, High Holiday Liturgy. Mordechai Ben David's Vahaviosim. I want to thank the Mayor of Jersey City, Stephen Fulop, for stopping by. Wishing everybody a happy, healthy, sweet New Year. It's Friday morning on this Era of Yom Kippur. Candlelighting at 614 6.14 is candlelighting time. Kol Nidre shortly after that. And um, we'll be off the air Thursday and Friday next week, Thursday and Friday the week after for the holiday of Sukkot and then Shemini Atzeres, Simchas Torah. And uh, finally back to a regular schedule the week after that. It's been a while since uh, our weekly update, and it will be a while since we have another one. So let's get to... Uh, Malcolm Honline and find out what's happening in this amazing world of ours. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations and joins us for the weekly update here at JM and the AM. Mr. Honline, Egmarch Simatova, happy, healthy, and sweet New Year to you, and welcome back to JM and the AM. And Egmarch uh, Simatova to all the listeners in an easy fast, and uh, let's hope that... Uh the weekly updates will be full of happy news in this year. Yeah, there's the potential for that. There could be some happy news. A lot of news this week, that's for sure. The Prime Minister of Israel uh, spoke at the United Nations. And, you know, um, I don't know if you agree with me on this, Malcolm, or not, but it did not have the luster of previous speeches that the Prime Minister has made at the U.N. And I think, like any, like any good Yankee or Red Sox fan would know, if Ahmadinejad is not in the building, if there's not that high-profile enemy who, to juxtapose your speech with, it's just not as powerful and doesn't get the same attention. You agree? Well, I would say there are several factors. One is that Netanyahu spoke towards the end of the proceedings when the high-level people were there, which was the week before, because of Rosh Hashanah. So he came, let's say, right after the Rosh Hashanah holiday, flew with Saturday night, got here Sunday, spoke Monday, uh, and was in New York Tuesday, met with the conference and our leadership, uh, amongst other things that he was doing here. The next day he flew to Washington, met President Obama, and yesterday, uh, midday, they flew back. Uh, so the UN a, w- was not abuzz with the leaders coming in, shoving one another aside. Uh, number two, it, you know, it was already after all the other speeches, uh, but the the ringing words of Zarif of Iran and of Abbas of the PA and other lovers of Israel were still there. You could hear them echoing in the halls. Yeah, understood, but they're not Ahmadinejad. They're not getting up there and basically saying they want to murder every Jew, you know what I mean? They're I not. Think that, they're... I think Netanyahu's speech, by the way, uh, in and of itself, it, it wasn't a great oratorical flourish, but it was a very strong and important statement, and People stopped us, uh, including a famous actor, uh, on the street and just said, your guy did great. That's exactly what needs to be said. And you heard broadcasters who rarely get into political things saying that this is the kind of message it needed to name names. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, look, as a speech, I I agree with that. It was not very powerful, and the... uh 
the the props have got to go. Whoever's advising him on that, they got to get rid of that. And the Derek Jeter reference was ridiculous, although it gave me an opportunity to get a lot of retweets. I'll tell you that much. But you're right that the he 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 made it as simple as possible. He broke it down and basically outlined for the world who the enemy is. The problem is. I don't think anybody, including the man he met with the next day in the White House, understands what's going on. Because with all this that he described, the President of the United States is still concerned about housing and building in Jerusalem and not focused on who the enemy is and who wants to destroy the Western world. Well, I think the the reaction to the announcement was certainly disproportionate and the language used inappropriate. They talk about poisonous and, you know, the, the Friends of Israel turning against it. True that some of the Europeans and others have re, have reacted to it, but uh, Netanyahu's statement was, "Guys, to get the facts, this was a, a two-year-old uh, approved plan that, and a technical move, really a, another zoning step. It's not construction. That this was privately built, privately purchased land that Arabs sell land to Jews." Um, and does not disqualify Jews from then being able to live there. When Jews sell to Arabs in the West, in West Jerusalem or in other areas, nobody complains about it. That this pro- project would be open to Arabs to buy as well. And he said, "I'm not going to tell any Jews that they can't live in apartments in Jerusalem." Right. And I think that that is really and and the message each time. And how it could be, you know, the timing. And he blamed uh, NGOs, uh, non-governmental organizations, and. Uh, Particular, I think, uh, some or peace now for revealing the information while he was abroad. Um, but the the one can dispute, you can argue, debate any issue, but you got to keep it in proportion about what what given all of the issues that we face. Now, the president of the United really States, president of the United States, you know, in order to represent the democratic uh, you know, atmosphere of this country the right way. It should be out there saying that Jews have a right, and anybody has a right to live wherever they want as long as it's illegally. And instead, it's, uh, you know, it's the focus of all his anger uh, regarding Israel and the prime minister. The whole thing is ridiculous. Well, it's not, it's not a focus of all his anger. I think he, has, uh, he better have some anger for some of the other things. And one of the things we pointed out was that on the Rosh Hashanah, 40 graves on the Harazetim were destroyed. Destroyed and vandalized, and the cameras uh, burnt by what are believed to be uh, contract hits from from by kids who was paid for by Hamas, uh, and nobody condemns. And, and many of these graves belong to uh, people who came from the United States or a family in the United States, and you don't hear condemnation of that. And that it, it underscores what Netanyahu said in the UN about the comparison between Hamas and IS, which again the administration uh, criticized saying that they're not comparable, yet but they, what he was saying is, look, they come from the same core, they have the same core beliefs, and here you have them, like Hamas, uh, uh, ordering destruction of these, of the, of these graves, um, it, it, like IS, which is destroying the sites of every religion, wherever they go. Right, well... They're equivalent groups. I agree with you. It's a tragic episode and one that, you know, we have to react to. I agree with you 100%, but as Malcolm Holmline always reminds us, we're even more concerned about those living Jews, and that was the, 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 the that was the point of Netanyahu's speech is to describe who the enemy is and what they're ready to do, and how they how they want to basically you know take over the world, and th- that is what is most disturbing about the American and other reactions you know among Western countries is that they won't even allow 
Hamas, Hezbollah, ISIS to be lumped in together. They all have to, there always has to be, you know, a more moderate wing of the terrorists. The whole thing is absurd. Well, you know, there is a lack of understanding about who these groups are, what their connections are, who's on which side, and, and the more names and initials that are thrown out. You know, we now have the Khorasan group, which some people say may not even really be a group, but it, it was an offshoot of Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda now is in competition with ISIS because they've been shunted aside. Now they want to regain credibility and and visibility, uh, also because it, it, it determines recruitment uh, when ISIS is draining all these young people away from other groups. So they all escalate their activities, and this is really a branch of al-Nusra, a branch of al-Qaeda, and the, the emphasis on it uh, shows that people don't necessarily uh, understand and what the purpose is. This is really a group trained to carry out attacks abroad, and they went there to Iraq to, to train young people, to recruit and train young people, but to carry out attacks outside of Iraq, especially we believe in the West. When you watch the Western world and their reaction, how, they, how it seems they're not paying attention to the words of the Prime Minister, for instance, in this case, does it help you better understand what happened before World War II in Europe and then eventually when the United States got involved? When I see it combined with the anti-Semitism and how you know political issues morph right away into anti-Semitism, the refusal to face up to the challenge and the threats that we heard again from uh, from Iran now over the last 24 hours to threaten Israel's existence and calling on all the Arabs to unite against it. But I, I see them doing the same thing to Christians and executing them in much larger numbers and threatening them and threatening other uh, every minority. Yeah. And we see the, the encroachments everywhere. There just seems to be a lack of will, a lack of interest, a lack of understanding when Yemen, which I discussed on this show for many weeks, and unfortunately last week couldn't take credit for all the warnings that we <laughs> issued, uh, literally on, on a weekly basis saying that I said it's going. I spoke to people there, and nobody cares that the government that of, of Yemen is now in the hands of Iran's um, fully subsidized uh, offshoot, the Houthis, they control all the area from the capital to, to the border of, of Saudi Arabia. And people who don't think it's important, take a look at a map and see where they control the straits. One side now you have Yemen and the government in the hands of, of these Houthis, who are extremists, uh, <laughs> Zaydi Shiites. And, and on the other side, you have Somalia. And through that area goes the majority of the West's oil shipping from, from uh, the Middle East and the the uh, other end of the straits are in the hands of Iran with the Straits of Hormuz. So theoretically, it could control both sides. Think of what's going to happen with Oman and how this can become a base of operation, right. let alone the threat to Saudi Arabia. Right, but you've always said that um, th- th- there would be limited uh, there would be limited action on their part to uh, to block the straits because of the money that's involved, right? Yeah, I said about the Straits of Hormuz, but now with Iran threatening action about the sanctions if the sanctions continue if we don't remove that would be their retaliation right and it gives them additional leverage now uh by the way on the christian thing that you just mentioned i spoke to someone yesterday who was born in Nazareth, and i said wow how interesting i said to her you know you grew up in an area that has the you know the world's three major religions you know must be very interesting to 
to be in that area of Israel. She said, you know, if you think the Muslims hate the Jews, they hate the Christians ten times more. I thought that was an interesting observation from someone who grew up in it. It's absolutely true. And you know that, that many of the Christians, their children, go and serve in the IDF and then become the, set, the, the subject of harassment and of uh, threats because of it. Unbelievable. Um, JM in the AM, it's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Erev Yom Kippur weekly update with Malcolm Honline. Now, my point about the, uh, the the reference to, you know, 100 years ago or close to 100 years ago in the atmosphere before, I guess, you know, 100 years ago be, would be World War One, But you know what I mean, the pre-World War Two era in Europe, is that... Um, and Netanyahu, I th- he may even have said this. I don't know if it, you know, if it would be a quote. He certainly alluded to it. it. It sounded like he was saying to the West, you know, we've seen a madman, you know, tell us about taking over the world. And of course, he had all the quotes about what the, you know, radical Islam folks want to do in terms of taking over the world. Uh, but it sounded like he was saying, if you think Hitler was something, you ain't seen nothing yet. Is, is that is that was that the right attitude that he was trying to portray? That if you think what happened in the 20th century was a disaster, we're heading towards something much much worse. Well, because also you have different means. You didn't have, you know, the widespread proliferation of nuclear capacity. You have also so many hot points at one time. You know, it was one thing when you're in the middle of the war and and things happen, but here you have the proliferation of amongst a much larger group than the Nazis ever had, a number of followers, number of potential uh, supporters, right. with the power and money that they have. It's un- The numbers are, there's no comparison. And people don't realize how large the enemy is. And, and how big its potential and its ability to draw on young people and to have this kind of a radical but religious-based appeal right and the the fervor with which they operate and the desire to kill and as you just said the ease god forbid with which they could if they were if they were capable you know on a, on a nuclear level if they were capable to do so one of the things i always I, i've said this to you a million times uh you know when i was growing up it was the old you know we know khrushchev's never going to push the button in this case we're dealing with people who could push the button you know what i mean if they had the button believe me right now they'd be pushing it they have no compunction you see that they don't care about killing. Somebody pointed out that the Nazis at least try to hide their crimes. Right. In some instances, these guys advertise. Right. There are videos all around the world. They'll put every individual uh, uh, execution on, on, on video on display for everybody if you want. And the training of young people to do this and the, the kind of education and the fact that beheading has now become the major recruitment tool. So you have beheadings in Yemen, in, in, in uh, Sinai, in Lebanon, in Syria, in all these places where they want to uh, draw people, let alone we had a beheading here in the United States. That's right. That uh, it becomes something uh, as an attraction, as fashionable. It's, it's horrific to think about it. Yeah, unbelievable. So, so this meeting with the president, the prime minister and the president, I mean, I, I don't think the prime minister felt it was a waste of time, but in some ways it, it seems like this message is never penetrating. This is the leader of the Western world. He's really the only person, when you think about it, who could put a stop to any of this. And I know the allies are in Syria. Are, are they making progress there? You know, We're at war now with ISIS. Have we made a dent in this effort at all? Well, I think we have made some dent, but we're not. It's not enough of an effort yet to 
to stop the advancement. They, they are supposedly in Iraq, one mile from Baghdad. They are uh, moving in on uh, 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 Kobani the, near the Turkish border. It's nine miles from the border. The um, and and the, although there's some turnaround in, in some of the smaller villages, the fact is that the major thrust of of uh, ISIS has not been stopped. You know, just compare it. Israel flew 200 sorties a day during the war, and they're flying 11 sorties a day, maybe 15, and now with some other countries joining. And when they hit a, a silo and it takes civilian lives, it's interesting to note that, the, that the, how they waived the uh, requirement about avoiding civilian casualties, <laughs> that the restrictions that were imposed. Yeah, you, remember, you remember the summer with Israel? Break. Yeah, exactly. Unbelievable. And how many weeks ago was that, that Israel was suffering in the headlines the, on, on that topic? They still suffer in the headlines. Of and course. They threats to take him to the International Criminal Court for it. And uh, a lack of sympathy in the West about what Israel was up against, but not thousands of miles away, you know, within driving distance so that people visited their sons and brought them food every night. So what does he say? President Obama sits there with the prime minister. Does he say to him, we are aware of the problem, but there's only limited action we can take? We're aware of the problem that's going to be stepped up. Or or does he sit and deny it and say, you know, it's not nearly as bad as you paint, Mr. Prime Minister? What is he saying to him in that room? Well, I wasn't there, but I, I have spoken to people who about the meetings, and I, I think that they have a better discussion than people uh, tend to believe. It. I'm sure it gets uh, intense at points, but uh, you know, when they talk about the golden ISIS, they, they share the goal. The question is the implementation when it comes to concern about Jordan, concern about uh, Israel's northern border with, with Hezbollah and uh, other players, and, and al-Nusra now coming to control the Syrian side of it, or uh, the events in, in, um, in Gaza and Sinai. Uh, I, I would like to also have heard a discussion between President Sisi and uh, President Obama, which uh, might have been very interesting, depending upon how frank they, they were, because there is a lot of tension and resentment about the pressures that are brought to bear and uh, what people sometimes feel is a lack of understanding of the plight that others uh, face in the West in general. And I think that, that um, Netanyahu described the meetings as, as good. You saw that some of the public statements, uh, the quick criticism about the uh, the housing development in Jerusalem, um, then each time escalates and gets a lot of attention, whereas all the positive steps, whether it's on Iron Dome, the discussions uh, obviously dealt with that and expanding it, et cetera, are the good news, good things don't get any coverage. Yeah, what was the first? I have it here somewhere. Um, where is it? Prime Minister Netanyahu raised the tantalizing prospect that a new Arab alliance could resuscitate Israel's moribund peace talks with the Palestinians. But President Obama responded with a familiar complaint that Jewish settlements are the real problem. That's the first paragraph of the New York Times story regarding that meeting. And, the, the you know, we saw two interesting things. One, that President Obama in his speech to the United Nations said that the Palestinian-Israeli issues, those who argue that that is the central issue, have been proven wrong, and that we see that it becomes an excuse for, for countries to meet their responsibilities by keep saying, well, you solved the Palestinian-Israeli issue. It wasn't so long ago that members of his administration were, say, were saying that, but uh, I think it's an important uh, statement. And the same thing is true in settlements. Uh, you know, it's an irritant to people. It, it can be, uh, there can be good debates about it. Uh, people are critical. First of all, there's no construction in this case. In, in the last few cases, and this is a zoning changes, and there was talk about 
other projects, many of which are private, yeah. funded and privately built. So See, it's not a government decision. Yeah. A lot of people don't like when we do this, when we get into the, you know, the technical aspect of it, because the, the answer is, you know, they have a right to build there and that's the end of it. And I don't know if the, you know, the zoning and technical aspect yeah, of it. Because if you want to answer, and those who take the time to call the media have to have facts, you can't just say, well, it's not important. It is important. People have made it important. But if you can uh, undermine the argument and show why the contentions are, are and, and again, this has nothing to do with whether people want to politically debate it, but if they want to answer, and they should be answering these charges, they have to know the facts. You're understood, but it sounds like when, when we say, you know, it's a zoning thing and not construction thing, that if it was a construction thing, then maybe, you know, there would be a legitimate complaint against it. No, I, I was saying that the reason the Prime Minister cited these things was to, to show that, that the argument put forward in the statement by the State Department, etc., was not really... Uh, uh, right, it was, a flaw, it, was a, it was a flawed argument. It was based on incorrect facts. Uh, what's the reality of, um, of the uh, possibility of Saudi Arabia and other Sunni Arab states combining with Israel to uh, to fight off ISIS. Is this a was this a, re, a realistic um, uh, conjecture by the Prime Minister that other Arab states would align with Israel at this point? Well, I can tell you that I met some during the week, uh, including President Sisi and others, uh, and uh, I think that there's a very different attitude towards Israel. It doesn't mean that it's a long it will last long or that. Other demands won't change things back, or that you know they they don't continue to pursue their interests. But right now, they see, and I think it's reflected in the fact that it, during the 51 days of the war in Israel and Gaza, there wasn't dem- there were no demonstrations in the Arab streets in in Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Egypt, Jordan. If you remember the last time in 2006, 2008, the kind of manifestations and some getting very violent. Here you did not have it. Right. And and is there a shift and a recognition? Yes. And I think the president's comments on the centrality of this issue as opposed to others, I think the comments we've heard from, from other leaders reflect the fact that there is a, 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 a different context that they're looking at this uh, at this moment. It doesn't mean it won't change. Right. But Netanyahu is saying, look, I don't have a partner in Abbas. He's uh, and, and many of the people we met with, even including Arab leaders, Nobody has confidence that Abbas will make a deal. They say he's 79. You know, he's looking to his retirement. Others talk about uh, them, you know, trying to stash money for his uh, his kids and his future. Um, I, I think that what Netanyahu is saying, look, maybe the answer lies in a broader approach to peace, which has been proposed for a long time, uh, and that now, given the new relationships, and, and the fact is that President Sisi pointed something out, which I thought was important. He said... Who would have thought 30 years ago that a 1,000 Egyptian tanks would be introduced into Sinai with Israel's permission, and the Egyptian aircraft are flying along the Israeli border, and nobody worries about a stray bullet? Right. That's true. Sometimes you have to look back, and uh, you know, sometimes you have to look at the entire picture, and you realize how different things are these days. You know, when obviously when Israel was at the height of the Intifada and people were being blown up in all the different venues in Israel, uh, things really hit home when the uh, you know when nine when the nine eleven attacks took place here in the United States. People here started to understand somewhat of what Israel was going through. Now I, now I know ISIS is here, quote unquote. You've told us that a million times, and we know that that's accurate, but. 
is, is it going to take some type of drastic attack, God forbid, in one of our major cities or, I don't know, some type of, you know, um, uh, ISIS-type uh, action to really wake up people here on this side of the world? We did have it in 9-11, and we've had many instances since. We see the trials that are taking place on a regular basis. It's not that it isn't happening here. People just don't pay attention to it and don't think of the consequences of, of the actions that, thank God, are prevented or that, that uh, people who, who were involved in terrorist attacks abroad and came here illegally. And uh, w- once you kill, it doesn't, there's nothing to stop you from doing it again. And the infiltration across our borders, the, the open borders that we have, the vulnerable borders, I should say, and the uh, uh, concerns that, that uh, are manifest are if somebody speaks about these things openly, we've had programs just this week in universities where you know people are accused of being Islamophobic because they talk about Islamist uh, tendencies of the Islamists. They don't talk about Islam. They talk about those who are engaged in this kind of practice. Nobody should be defending that. And and pointing it out and making a distinction between them and the rest of the Muslim community is important. But they're they're shut down. They, they they're uh, harassed. And and universities and colleges, including some very close to people listening to this show, uh, have succumbed to these pressures. And and what happens to free speech? What happens? I agree. If somebody's a hater and inciting. That's one thing. But when you have legitimate people going to speak and and because they identify and they talk about you know the legal ramifications we talk about lawfare we talk about you know the threats the the security threats i mean this is ridiculous 911 was different though because it was so you know it was such a you know a punch to the gut here in the united states the biggest liberals were were you know who would never want to enter a war were yelling and screaming we got to go get these guys that's why i'm saying that you know is it going to take another major episode on that type of scale to wake everybody up because no one's paying attention to what's going on here already. Well, police and, and law enforcement, I think the NYPD deserve special credit for this. They do pay attention, and I think they take these threats very seriously because they see it. They see the arrests that are made. They see the, the trials that have taken place where information comes out about the ties of people who, who come to this country with to Pakistan, to, to uh, others, to Saudi Arabia, to other uh, places where they get support financing and perhaps involvement in, in directly or indirectly in terrorist activities and threats to to the homeland. Yeah, I know. They do a great job. By the way, um, for those of us who um, are shocked whenever the mayor of New York City meets with Jewish leadership, I was glad to see that he met with the prime minister of Israel this week. By the way, why is Israel so focused in the media about whether we won, we meaning Israel, using that loosely, whether we won the war this summer or not. Is there any other country that has this? Maybe because it's Arab Yom Kippur and there's a lot of introspection. Is there any other country that spends this amount of time in the media analyzing whether this summer war was won or not? Well, because you have a, a, a campaign that goes on, the Israeli press, as you know, is very open, very free, and very critical generally. Um, they were not during the war. There was a real sense of unity, which begins to unravel now. But the um, uh, the need to to be able to put this in the right uh, context about you know did Hamas, which claims a victory, I mean here you have a party that was so roundly defeated, and yet the press and others continue to to report and to play up their message that they somehow 
emerge from this uh, uh, victorious. And, you know, the, the, the Israelis, uh, IDF, or intelligence sources said that they're back to manufacturing rockets and they're going to test. They tested five rockets into the sea. Uh, we don't know really how much of that capacity they retain, but clearly enough that uh, it is of concern and that they um, uh, continue to manufacture and, and maybe tunnels and tunnels in the north. And so uh, Israel reasserts this to be able to, to say that you can confront terrorism, you can deal with them, you can deliver them uh, a very severe blow. It's not a knockout blow. And that that is part of the problem is that they can come back unless Israel's given the ability and the international community assures no rearmament and eventually disarmament. Yeah. You use a weekly update segment on Erev Yom Kippur to tell me that the unity in Israel is unraveling? I said the remarkable demonstrations and in introducing the prime, and when I spoke to the prime minister at his meeting with the conference, um, uh, I made mention of that, of the immense demonstrations here and there everywhere of the achdut, of the unity, uh, which is really relevant to Yom Kippur, where we play in the plural and we, we talk about uh, collectivity in addition to whatever individual uh, sins we acknowledge or pleas that we, that we want to make. And unfortunately, we see already how the political divisions emerge and the, the you know, everybody hopes that this thing can, this kind of sense of, of unity will remain, and, and people celebrated it so much, and still celebrate it, and people tell me, Israelis all the time, about how amazing it was and how people came together. That's what Ahtas, that's what unity is about, why it's so important, why we talk about it, and that the, when, when we are together, the strength that emerges from that, the compassion, the caring, the support for one another, but the strength also. So on this era of Yom Kippur, that's the uh, that's what we need to step up. We need to reignite that amazing unified effort that everybody had during the summer and the feeling of unity. That and everyone remember had. the threats. Look, we, we hardly talk about Iran. Iran launched all sorts of new missiles that, or and described all sorts of new missiles that they uh, that they have. But they are still moving. We're still facing the November twenty fourth deadline, and they they are supposedly using the Parchin facility, which we've talked about to test. Uh, nuclear detonation uh, technology. Uh, I won't go into the details, <laughs> but but we see it on so many. Uh, I, I'm laughing because the State Department spokesman this week. This was the attitude that she had. It was it was essentially, "Don't talk to me till November 24th." You know, like that's the magic date that you, you don't have to worry about it. Nothing can happen before then, and certainly there's nothing we have to investigate or worry about until we get the official report at that time. It's ridiculous. Well, the. Um we did meet with the negotiators uh, from the United States and participants in the talks. And uh, my, my, the problems I see there emerging is whether there will be a unified standard. There seems to be some relaxation. There are a lot of country, countries who say they will not be left behind. Iran is pressing to remove the sanctions. Some countries, you know, are assisting them. The, the fall of their uh, currency is, has been somewhat stopped, although they're economic conditions are terrible and they are are pressing very hard to uh, restore the tensions between them and Turkey over Turkey's involvement. ISIS could affect the way Turkey uh, uh, helps them. But look at what happened with ISIS. ISIS took over Raqqa in Syria and an area around Mosul where the oil is produced in both Iraq and Syria. They are exporting 
millions and millions of dollars in oil every day. Yeah. The major purchases of the Syrian oil are the Assad regime, which they're in a death battle with, Kurdish middlemen, and the rest goes through the border of Turkey and gets out to be sold. So it is almost ludicrous when you look at this and you see how the enemies come together because of economic motivation and interest and people who, who, who make money off of it. Yeah. The great unifying factor, huh? And then you say, you know, well, what will be the case with, with Iran? Will they keep lowering it? We saw all these reports, you know, to disconnect the pipes, which is silly. The other things, uh, you know, we talk about the breakout period, meaning the period between once we discover that they're already moving towards it and, and the time they'd be able to, to have a, a nuclear weapon. It's not that. It's the capability, and that's why Israel always pressed on the capability issue, not the, the uh, possession of a weapon. And we've seen somewhat of an erosion. They now have six filmmakers in Iran that are going out to make films to show that any deal is better than no deal. Uh, Phil Gordon, who's the coordinator for Middle East at the National Security Council, spoke about that a deal could, could start the way to re, towards resuming negotiations. It'll be complicated. It made all the appropriate uh, conditions. But the very fact that we're talking about uh, that rather than there is an absolute requirement. We have seven Security Council resolutions, what Iran must do. And we don't have to reward them. We have to show them that they're going to suffer much more. And the people of, of Iran have to be encouraged to speak up and to, to do what they can, despite the, you know, this dictatorial regime and, and the, the, that uh, runs the place. And there's still the efforts to paint uh, uh, Zarif and, and uh, Rouhani and all the men's moderates. Well, we know that it's Khamenei alone who calls the shots. And that the the, um, uh, the the they keep raising the demands on what they want in terms of the number of centrifuges, and the fear is that the West's position, and I heard this from Western leaders, is going to erode. Yeah, could you give us? I know you hate predictions, but post November the twenty fourth, November twenty fifth, uh, what's going to be the world reaction? I mean, is this just going to be another postponement, another uh, you know, n not giving. Uh, you know, much credence to whatever negative reports come out about Iran? Well, I can say that the U.S. officials have assured us they're not going to buy an extension, uh, except if it's a couple of days just to finish some details. And if they keep pressing and they show that they're credible in the threats uh, and, and they continue to move on sanctions, et cetera, uh, that uh, Iran will come to, to ultimately to uh, a, a decision and the, the fact is that the, they have to show, we have to demonstrate the talks are going to begin in, in another week, uh, two weeks, within the next two weeks again. If we don't show them that the terms are absolute, that the obfuscation is not going to work, mm. that the, the demands are absolute and we're going to live up to the requirements, as the president said, as the, the negotiators in the United States and other countries have said. But there are experts on this who have been involved in this process who tell me, that's not what's happening. I think that that is what everybody wants to see happen, but because we're dis you know, distracted by ISIL, Iran takes advantage of it, holds out the, the carrot that they will get involved in this if we drop the sanctions and if we do other things. They want that dropped even before the negotiations conclude as a condition for their involvement. And that has been rejected. But then every once in a while you see another statement come out saying, well, we could be open to, to their involvement again in this in this process. And they keep saying, we're not interested in working with you. Yeah. 
I don't know, not much confidence about the uh, United States and their leadership role in this. It seems that when there's a negotiating team, the Iranians always out-negotiate us. <laughs> well, they have thousands of years of experience. And I'm trouble <laughs> when I said that they're Pizaris, and, uh, which is not an insult. It is a compliment to them, and it's, uh, it's the reality is that they are very sharp. They, they're sharp negotiators, but they have... A, a clear when you have somebody who says an absolute no, then you 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 are you have to face that reality and either give into it or you have to try to to wear it down. If the West is not seeing as having absolute positions, and that's part of the problem, if if we, we don't come across as committed and ready to carry out all of the requirements of and the support for quote all options being on the table or no deal. A bad deal is worse than no deal, and we will take the consequences seriously, and we will move ahead. If they believe that, and if they believe they're not going to be able to wiggle and find ways around it, and if Russia and China don't continue to give them leeway by by buying oil and and helping them bypass some of the restrictions, and maybe even more incentivized for Russia now because of the, the, they're not trading with Ukraine and the limitations have been placed and the sanctions on Russia so that they find a common cause with uh, with Iran in this and, and trying to compensate there. It's very complicated. Oh, it certainly is. By the, but before we wrap up, did the PA get any closer to uh, uh, to PA statehood in this session of the UN, or those threats were ended up being nothing? Oh no, we haven't gotten to that point yet. Now, when does that happen? Very important, and I'm, I'm going to raise it because we're during the time we're off the air in the next couple of weeks. Uh, this issue will will be uh, faced, and and there are various steps. First, uh, Abbas is threatening to go to the Security Council. They drafted language for a resolution. They want a deadline set for 2016, by which time negotiations have to be completed. They say if they fail that, and already uh, their attempt to to use a resolution to gain statehood, Australia, United States, Canada, others have come out against it. They would like to force U.S. veto to embarrass the U.S. and isolate the U.S., but the, um, the U.S. will try to get nine no votes, which means it obviates the need for a, a veto. So let's say that they get past the Security Council, and it doesn't happen there. Then he says, I'm going to go to U.N. agencies. I'm going to assert our membership like he did in UNESCO. Then he said, as a last resort, he will go to the International Criminal Court. But he was warned this week, and lawyers have told him, remember, once you join that, you become subject to it. And that's why Netanyahu in his speech spoke about the war crimes done by his allies, he's now in a unity government with Hamas, and therefore he could be charged, and certainly the PA, with complicity in, in war crimes. So I think that is something that, that would worry him, and they use the threat as leverage uh, all the time, uh, but it's certainly troubling, and, and you know, Israelis being called war criminals, yeah. and, and you have these charges. I are you- serious, and I hope people dismiss what happens to you ahead. The truth is that these things can have con- real consequences. Rabbi Yudin standing by. We'll wish you a happy, healthy, and sweet New Year. And uh, just to confirm, Malcolm, uh, when it comes to an Al Al flight, you'll sit on any seat in, on the plane as long as you're heading to Israel, right? The right direction. I'm just making sure about that. Egmar uh, Simatova, we should have a happy, healthy, and sweet New Year together. Amen. And Egmar Simatova to everybody, an easy fast. 
and uh, God willing, this Yom Kippur will mark the beginning of real Achdus in Klal Yisrael. Amen. Thank you for that. Malcolm Holmline is, of course, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Friday morning, Erev Yom Kippur, candle lighting 614 on this Erev Yom Kippur. J.M. and the A.M., as we wish everybody, all of our listeners, a happy, healthy, and sweet new year. Egmar Simatova, a good gebench yor. This time each and every Friday morning, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin spiritual leader of Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. This morning, of course, Rabbi Yudin concentrates on the upcoming holiday of Yom Kippur. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Good Erev Yom Tov, everybody. And very possibly today itself is a kind of Yom Tov, meaning that if you think about it, today is Erev Yom Kippur. But, Erev Pesach, you're not allowed to eat matzah. Erev Sukkos, you get no mitzvah for sitting in the sukkah on Erev Sukkos. Today is Erev Yom Kippur. And there are several aspects of the Yom Kippur experience that already take place on today. So to begin with, the Pasuk in Parshas Emor, when the Torah speaks about Yom Kippur, in the beginning of the paragraph, the Torah reminds us that Yom Kippur is on the 10th of the month. Yet, the Torah completes the paragraph by telling us that Shabbos, Shabboson Hulachem, chapter 23, Pasuk 32 in Vayikra. It is a day of complete rest, Shabbos, Shabboson, which teaches us that this year, when I have Shabbos and Yom Kippur together, the halacha says that we fast, as we know, on a Shabbos. And the Torah says, V'nishem, es nafsho seichem, you are to afflict your souls, b'tishalachodesh pa'erev, on the ninth of the month, in the evening. Now why couch it in the ninth of the month, if Yom Kippur is on the tenth of the month? So the first thing the Talmud teaches us from this verse is that there is a mitzvah of Tosefes Yom HaKippurim. There's a mitzvah to add on to the sanctity of Yom Kippur and to start your fast prior to sunset. Everybody would agree that, of course, by sunset on tonight, it is Yom Kippur. The Torah is saying you are to already accept upon yourself, start the fasting, start the prohibition of malacha even before. Now, the certainly the Torah doesn't say how much before. The Talmud doesn't give an amount. But the rabbis say, ideally, up to, and let's say approximately a half an hour before. And so... In most synagogues, the Kol Nidre prayer will be starting approximately 20-25 minutes before sunset. So built into the system, understand, is the fulfillment of the mitzvah 
of Tosefes Yom Habikurim. This is halacha number one that we learn out from this pasuk. And secondly, that there is a mitzvah to eat today. Today, Erev Yom Kippur, there's a mitzvah to eat. And this is a fascinating law. The Meshachachma says the reason why there's a mitzvah to eat today is because the Torah, like a loving mother, has but one fast day, namely Yom Kippur. And the Torah is therefore saying, please, I want you to make sure you're going to be strong enough, able to fast for 25 hours, Therefore, there's a mitzvah to eat Erev Yom Kippur. But our rabbis give us other reasons which we should be aware of. The Gemara at the end of Tanis teaches us that one of the reasons why Yom Kippur is such a happy day, number one, it's the day of forgiveness. Number two, says the Talmud, it's the day that Moshe came down the third and last time from Mount Sinai with the two tablets in his hand. This is the day that we receive the oral law. When the Jewish people receive Torah, that is a time for celebration. As when one completes a Masechta, one makes a seum and a party. We can't party on Yom Kippur to celebrate our receiving Torah. So therefore, part of the celebration this afternoon in our special meal before the fast is to celebrate our having received the second set of tablets and the oral law. Rabbi Yona suggests that one of the reasons that we're fasting excuse me, that we are eating this afternoon is to celebrate literally Yom Kippur. What does that mean? We are so confident that Yom Kippur is going to atone for our sins communally, individually, that this in of itself is exciting and worth celebrating. So this is a... Erev Yom Kippur. But there's much more to today. The verse that we're going to recite before the Shemona Esrei this evening is, Ki On this day, we will receive atonement. Hashem forgives us. And purifies us. Mikol from all our sins. Lifnei Hashem Titaru. Before God shall you be purified. Or, as the Mepharshim learn in addition, before you come to God on Yom Kippur, you shall already be in a state of purity. And therefore, the rabbis teach us that we go to the mikvah today to purify ourselves so that when we come to Yom Kippur, we are already in a state of purity. This afternoon, the Mincha is very special. The Mincha this afternoon already has the Vidui. The Vidui is the confession 
that one recites over the Yom Kippur experience ten times. One says it this afternoon at Mincha, before the Suda Mafsekis, before the meal that uh, comes before the fast. And what does that mean? That we've already tried to clean ourselves, not just physically by going to the mikvah, but also in a spiritual sense by having recited the vidui, therefore coming into Yom Kippur in as great a sense as purity as possible. So therefore, the Erev Yom Kippur has part of the Yom Kippur flavor itself. The other nine times that we say the Vidui is, we say it twice in Mayrev tonight, twice in Shachris, twice in Musaf, twice in Mincha, and once more in Ni'ila, for a total of ten times. Now, we should realize how special Yom Kippur is. I will try to address that point after I review several of the key laws of the day. Interestingly, there is no verse in the Torah that says, don't eat, don't drink on Yom Kippur. The Torah uses the term, you are to afflict your souls five times. And the rabbis tell us that this is understood to include five different afflictions or restrictions of the day. And they include A, eating and drinking, which according to all is considered a biblical prohibition. The other four I will get to in a moment. And let me say, if somebody is healthy, they must fast on Yom Kippur. If somebody unfortunately is ill and should not fast doctor's orders, please, it's important that you speak to your local rabbi who will guide you how to eat on Yom Kippur in accordance with the halacha. That's very important. If you haven't done that yet, please do so today. The other four restrictions are washing and bathing. When one wakes up in the morning on Yom Kippur with a cup, we wash Negelwasser, our hands alternating right, left, right, left, right, left to the knuckles with a little moisture on your fingers, rub them through your eyes to remove any impurity that it might have gathered in the course of our sleeping, and that's it. When one uses the washroom, one washes their hands again. Now, if one's hands become soiled on Yom Kippur, by all means, you can wash them. It's washing for pleasure which is prohibited on the day. If one is feeding a child and needs to wash the food, no problem. Again, it's washing for pleasure. The next prohibition of the day is applying ointments, cosmetics to the body. The next one is wearing of leather shoes. You can wear a leather belt, 
a leather yarmulke. It's only the shoes which cannot be of leather. Be careful, even our sneakers should not have leather on them. And finally, the last of the prohibitions is having marital relations on Yom Kippur. Now, the idea is that children, as they get closer to Bar and Bas Mitzvah, should be educated to gradually fast longer each year, approaching their Bar and Bas Mitzvah. Now, in terms of the prayers of Yom Kippur, both tonight for Mayariv, tomorrow morning for Shachris, when we recite the Shema, the verse recited immediately after the Shema, Baruch Shem, Kivod Malchuso, Leolam Va'ed, this sentence normally recited as the Talmud tells us, silently throughout the year, is recited tonight and tomorrow aloud. Now, the idea that we should understand is that the vidui, which is so important, as I'll get to, this is, quote, the mitzvah of the day, fasting and repenting, is written in a language of the Aleph Beis, Oshamnu, Bogadnu, Gozalnu, then followed by the different Alchets. The Aleph Beis Gimel, the ABC, is really to help us, says the Chaye Yodam, and to remind us, each and every one of us, of whatever misdeeds we might have done. So, I might suggest that each person should sit down and... If you haven't done it yet, there's still time to so do in the privacy of your room. Take a piece of paper and start jotting down what you have violated. The Aleph could be, Ochalti, I ate without a bracha. Okay, it's not okay, but that's part of my confession. Or, I ate and I wasn't so careful in terms of the kashras thereof. And so it is that the base is Beirachti. Well, did I recite my blessings? Did I recite my blessings with Kavana? Bitalti. Might I have literally not fulfilled positive mitzvahs, violated negative mitzvahs? And so it is, you should try to introspect and see how this affects each person individually. We have, therefore, the vidui is to be meaningful. And interestingly, it's said first individually by each person and then led by the chazin in, quote, the repetition or tonight after Mayriv. And there, interestingly, we sing it. Ay, 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 ay. What's going on? How are we singing our confession? So there, whereas each individual might very well be concerned how much tshuva, repentance, forgiveness will be granted him, we are assured that the Jewish nation is going to be forgiven and the Jewish nation will survive 
will continue and therefore our joining in with the community as part of the Vidui is our way of assuring the survival of the Jewish people. The Kriyas HaTorah for, please God, Yom Kippur morning is that of the Avodah, the special service that was performed in the Beis HaMikdash, officiated by the Kohen Gadol, Achas Pashana. The Kriyas HaTorah read at Mincha is that of the Arayos, the end of Pashas, Acharemos, the prohibited sexual relations. And at Mincha, we have as well the Sefer Yonah, Maftir Yonah, is read at that time with its many lessons, including the God's desire for man, his patience for us to do tshuva, his wanting us to do tshuva. And let me just remind you that according to Rabbeinu Yonah, the verse, On this day, He provides for us atonement, that there is a biblical mitzvah to do tshuva on Yom Kippur. Not only that, I'd like to point out that the phrase that identifying Yom Kippur as a chukas olam, that it is a eternal decree, a chok, a law without a reason. That phrase is found three times at the end of the Torah reading for tomorrow morning, and the last time is found once in Parshas Emor, four times. And you have to ask yourself, what is the chok, what is the law, without a reason that we can't understand regarding Yom Kippur? If you're going to tell me that it's the special service of the day, perhaps, including the So'er Lazazel, but then again, do we really understand all the other korbanos as well? I'd like to suggest, as Rev. Nevensol Shlita does beautifully in his Sefer, Sichos Liyoma Kippurim, that the Chukas Olam, the eternal decree of the day of Yom Kippur, is that of the mitzvah of tshuva, of repentance. Listen very carefully. You and I know that we can affect the present and the future. I can sell you an object now, I can sell you and make the kinyan, the acquisition now, and you will acquire this in a day, a month, and a year. We can affect the present and the future. There's no way that I can sell you something today and it should be yours yesterday. We cannot affect the past. The only way that we can affect the past is with tshuva. With tshuva, with complete repentance, the Jew is able to transform the past. What does that mean? In the past, unfortunately, I didn't realize this was a violation of Shabbat. I didn't realize this wasn't kosher. And I truly regret it. And if so... This act, which was done at that time, even willingly, 
but I didn't realize that it was a sin, this act can be transformed, that it now becomes a merit. It can be literally undone. How does this work? And the answer is, I cannot explain it logically. It's a chukas olam. It's a chok, which if you wish, I can say, is beyond this world. And it's for that reason that the Gemara tells us in Psachim 54a that tshuva, the concept, was created by God prior to this world. In other words, it doesn't fit with the usual rules and nature of olam, of this world. Therefore, the Torah says it's chukas olam. It precedes this world. And, as the rabbis tell us, the yud gimel midos, the 13 attributes, which are the core of slichos, which we say tonight, as well as, please God, at nila, again and again and again. So, Hashem, Hashem, we call out in God's name. And the rabbis tell us, Hashem, kodem sheyechto. The name of God, I'm with you before you sin. I'm with you after your sin. I want to suggest that according to Rabbeinu Yonah, in his Nefesh HaChayim, Shar Beis, Perik Zion, he points out that sin literally does damage to the world metaphysically. And therefore, the concept of Hashem Hashem, God literally repairs the world that we unfortunately cause some destruction to with our sins. All this through our tshuva. Incredible. And finally, On this day, God gives us forgiveness, atonement. What is Latayr Eschem? Latayr Eschem means that he restores the relationship. Imagine you have a friend. You hurt the friend. You beg forgiveness from the friend. And even if the friend will please God forgive you, as indeed we ought to ask forgiveness from one another before Yom Kippur. And it shouldn't be a pro forma. And it shouldn't be something that I only do for my friends who will grant it to me. But truly those that I might have hurt. And you know who they are. Go and ask them for forgiveness. And God forbid parents and children that aren't talking to each other. And siblings that aren't talking to each other. Don't go into Yom Kippur with that kind of a load and a burden. We're asking God to forgive us. We have to be big and forgive them as well. But Rabbi Salavechik said so beautifully that what the Torah is teaching us with the words, that even if you forgive your friend that offended you, more often than not, there's not going to be that same rapport and that same closeness and that same relationship comes along Yom Kippur and assures us He is not only going to give us atonement but Latire. He restores the relationship. That is so crucial and so special about the day that God literally is yearning to reestablish that intimacy and closeness between himself and each and every one of us. It's truly a chaspashana. It's truly a miraculous day.
And I urge that each and every one of us get the most out of the day. Look into the Machsar, understand the Machsar in any language that you understand. And please God, I pray that when we leave the shul, the synagogue, tomorrow night, after Ne'ilah, after Myriv, we're different people than the way we started out going into Yom Kippur. If so, it will be a good year for yourself and please God for all of Klai Yisrael. I take this opportunity of wishing Nachum and his family and the entire family of JM and the AM Igmar Tova you should be privileged to continue to uplift literally the entire Jewish world in good health for many years to come. Shabbat Shalom and a good Yom Tov and a Gemar Chasim Tova to all.
There it is, one of the great classics, of course, for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Wishing everybody a happy, healthy, and sweet new year. May we be inscribed in the book of life and healthy life and peaceful life for 5775. On this era of Yom Kippur, candle lighting is 614. And it's time to say good Shabbos and good Yonta from JM and the AM. The sun is going down. It's shining through the trees. Another week's gone by. Become a memory. So throw away your hammer. There's nothing left to do. Go on home and find a gift that's waiting there for you. Oh, it's time to say good job. Cause all your work is done. I'm gonna spend the day together with the Holy One. Say a special blessing on a cup that's filled with wine. Man and his creator, it's a very special sign. Your candles will be burning, they'll fill your home with light. Singing songs of Shabbos, well into the night. So throw away your hammer, there's nothing left to do. Go on home and find a gift that's waiting there for you.
Yisrael and Achimachem, our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. A very happy, healthy, sweet new year to everybody. Egmar Simatova. May we be inscribed in the Book of Life, one with great health and peace and prosperity for the entire world. Naomi Nachman is next on our stream at jmtheam.org. She has a brand new show entitled Table for Two. I should say a brand new episode of Table for Two coming up next. You can see the video of the show if you go to nachomsegel.com on the homepage. You can see the entire show uh, at the moment. Coming up at 10 o'clock, Charlie Harari, an encore presentation of last night's OHEL presentation of the brand new Book of Life Erev Yom HaKippurim special. That's coming up between 10 and noon today on our stream at jmtheam.org. Matis as the chief rabbi of South Africa, Sunday morning on JM Sunday. Make sure to be tuned in. Have an easy fast, everybody, till Monday. Nachum Sigal reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.